listening to the Child Life Cooperative Podcast, a place where professionals share their real and honest stories with host and certified child life specialist, Allie Jones and Ms. Ginger Manzella. Ginger. Ginger is joining me today for a special episode called Answering Your Questions. We did one of these last season, and actually you may remember Ginger's voice from last season as well when she shared about her stories from surgery and DI, starting her own programs there. Um, So it's really exciting to have this time to just chat. Well, thanks for having me back. Yes, and a little fun fact actually for you guys. Ginger and I are actually office mates, so we will just be having a conversation kind of like we do on a on a typical basis. Are you ready to just jump right in? I am ready. Okay. So, number one, we actually, I should even back up, over the past couple months, we've been asking to hear from your questions, and we got a great sampling of them, and there even seems to be some themes of advocacy, and that's one of the first general questions from Morgan, asking us to just talk about the art of advocating. I think the first thing in advocacy is assessment. I think we need to make sure that we're going in and assessing a patient, the patient's room, what's going on, and if, um, you know, we need to know the basis of what's going on before we can advocate for anything. And I think getting a good feel of what's happening with the family dynamic and the staff and the anxieties, um, or is it already completely calm, I think assessment is key mm-hmm. prior to advocacy mm-hmm. or advocating for anything. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And I think, you know, even today, I was having an interesting interaction with a patient where she's a older teen, almost 18, and was sharing about some of the ways that she feels unsupported by the medical team. She's had a chronic illness for some time. And even myself, I started to feel the struggle of, okay, as I'm assessing what she's saying, she is 18. I want to, almost 18. She, she, I want to empower her to be her own advocate, but at the same time, part of my job is helping her learn those advocacy skills herself. And so I think we can do so by asking a lot of questions, Mm -hmm. uh, by empowering teenagers, especially those, those older teen patients to ask questions themselves. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important in that I would think art of advocacy really has to go with good communication, Mm -hmm. that we are a liaison between the parents, the the patient, the medical team, that we're trying to give voice to how the patient might be feeling, trying to open other perspectives to the patient's need to help them understand what that child or that teen needs in that moment. Completely agree. I think opening up that conversation, that dialogue is key too, like you said, not just with patients but with families and allowing them the um, ability to speak because sometimes I don't think they know what their voice is or when it's appropriate and you know we have strong parents that are strong advocates right off the bat strong Mm -hmm. advocates right off the bat but we have those others that are just trusting in the team and trusting in um, the belief that the medical team knows what they're doing and they do Mm -hmm. but opening up that dialogue to let them know that their voice is equally important and you know most of us are family-centered care and we want to hear their feelings and their opinions and their questions and just giving them that voice. Yes, I love that. I think that actually sums advocacy up so well, Mm -hmm. is giving someone a voice, speaking for those that may not be able to speak for themselves and stepping in the gaps and doing so in a way that's respectful and kind while also strong. I think, um, I know I've blogged before about my people-pleasing 
tendencies and how sometimes I don't want to rock the boat or I don't want to be saying something that's unpopular or not liked, but I think we can still do so in a way that is respectful of Mm -hmm. those around us, that's humble, but that advocacy doesn't look like just being silent and just going along with whatever people want because we want to not rock the boat. That sometimes that looks like having uncomfortable conversations or addressing something that shouldn't ever happen again because we care about speaking and being that voice for the child. So, And I think also within advocating in general, we need to find the right times, the right places so that we don't put mm-hmm. people on the defense, especially when we're working with multidisciplinary teams. So there's different things with advocacy. Are we advocating for the patient, the families, or are we advocating to other disciplines? And yes. we all know what that can be like sometimes mm-hmm. working with maybe some strong, stronger um, personalities in other mm-hmm. areas of the mm-hmm. hospital. And I know we've both had doors and curtains closed on us before because they, you know, people believe that they can do this and and they can. Most of the time people are very good, but we also have a role to play. And uh, many times we're requested in these rooms and maybe the other team members might not know this. So um, being gracious, kind, um, but also persistent and understand that we do have a place most of the time. Yeah, definitely. Which actually kind of leads perfectly into our next question uh, from Lauren, which she's asking, how do you deal with difficult coworkers, especially nurses? Um, which is funny because I would say that there sometimes is a stigma about nurses in particular, but we're learning too that it can be many different people that you can have resistance from. It can be techs. It can be um, even front desk managers, yeah. things like that. But um, the funniest thing I have to say, though, about that, the ones that tend to be the most resistant in the beginning end up being the ones that, at least for me, in my mm-hmm. case and in my areas, some of my strongest allies that I just worked so beautifully with um, because, you know, I don't know, I, I love a challenge. And I think just going in there and being gracious and respectful, but also being you know, you need to persevere and you need to just know what your job is and not be afraid to do your job, even though there might be a strong personality. Absolutely. Um, Which is something you've encouraged me a lot (laughs) before when I've had resistance, because again, when I experience conflict or when someone doesn't like me or things like that, I can freak out and run down to Ginger and be like, oh my gosh, like (laughs) this did not go well. Like I remember, um, specifically there was an echo that I got called for and I know for a fact, the nurse was asking for me and she shared that the mom really wanted me present and it was a two-year-old. And I start walking um, down the hall and I see the echo tech and we make eye contact with each other and she darts in super, super fast, like looks at me was like, oh no, here comes child life. She did not want me and she closed the door. <laughs> and I had to get all my gown and gloves on because the patient was on precautions. So that took me a few fumbling minutes and I try to open the door and she puts her like cameras and things in front of the door so I couldn't even open the door. So I, I am awkwardly trying to put my head through the door and say, um, hi, I'm Allie. I'm a child specialist I was called to help the patient and to work with you today to to make this go a little easier and the echo tech looks at me and she's like no no no, we're fine I don't need you I can do it kind of what you were saying before thinking like I've got this (laughs) and so I looked at her and I continued to push open the door and saying you know actually I'm sure you do I just I want to make sure that the patient understands what's happening and I'd love to partner with you to to help you focus on your job and I'll just be be over here doing my own thing and just trying to help her know I'm, I'm on your team, I'm on your side. And she was continuing to be resistant in front of the family. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I actually did get overcome with insecurity. And so I 
could tell so strongly that I was not wanted and that she continued to be adamant that she did not want me there. And so then I retreated. I like shut down. I got so frozen and I went to the nurse and almost became tearful, which is not very professional, but just saying, you know, um, I just wanted to confirm that, that you wanted me there, that mom was asking for child life. I'd love to help. I am I'm, I'm getting some resistance from the echo tech. And the nurse again was saying, no, I really think you need to be in there. And so I ended up going back in a second time and that time being more giving myself a pep talk of you matter, your profession matters, you can play an important role and kind of reminding myself of the value of what we do and the importance of why we do it. And who we're really there for, exactly. which is the patient, the family, and that is ultimately who requested yes. you in the first place as well. So. Totally. Amen, Ginger. Right. And so I went back in and I said, you know what, I am actually going to be in here. I know that, Mom, you were requesting me, the nurse is, is hoping that I will stay, and so I'd love to just help however I can. And I tried to make it not an option and just started pulling out my silent things to engage the patient. The patient did beautifully. <laughs> the echo tech ended up thanking me afterwards. And like you said, even then, a, a, some seeds of, of blossoming friendship were at the end of it. But it can be it can be a little dicey. I think opening up communication and how working relationships can be mutually beneficial is key. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, the dialogue and just, if it can't be in the room, obviously, in front of families, stepping outside and just really saying, hey, how can we collaborate together? Because it opens it up to be less defensive um, mm -hmm. conversation and to just get that dialogue rolling on, hey, this is what I can do. I know you have such an important job, reaffirming what their job is and understanding that I know you have to get this done in a quick amount of time. For me, an, ex an example is MRI. I mean, those poor MRI techs have got to be on time all the time. They've got constant add-ons. They've got to keep these schedules. Our MRI machines are always busy. But I'm there to also advocate that we have the best possible outcome for these mm -hmm. patients to have the least amount of trauma and get these kids through without sedation if possible, which takes extra time. So it's really just trying to come to a mutually beneficial um, agreement on how I can help support you without stepping on your toes and, and vice versa. And I'm really just here to help the family while you do your job. Yes, I love that, Ginger how I think a lot of it is just trying to seek to understand that you're trying to understand the different pressures that they have too, trying mm -hmm. to really step into their lens of maybe how they're viewing yeah. your role, child life, the patient, trying to really have grace when you need to, but also have that confident humility of the ways that you can partner effectively with them. Yeah. And I think with conflict, I think it's always important to start with yourself, to ask yourself, is there anything in my control that I need to be sure of or adjust or anything like that? Do I need to change my communication style? Right. In some ways, maybe someone's more direct and they don't want a childlike specialist that's all flowery. And I feel like the patient really needs this or this, mm. but someone that can, can really level with them the way that they need to be talked with. And I also think um, something that I've actually learned from you is we have a system where we can write uh, write employees that are doing something well. Like WOW awards and REs and whatever. Different hospitals call it different things, but we have ways of recognizing employees that go above mm -hmm, and beyond or mm -hmm. that we've exactly. had a good encounter with. Definitely. And even if it's just a tiny, tiny yes. thing that you see with that nurse or their, that tech that did something really great to help help a child that you point that out that you celebrate that I think that's also huge to give that affirmation when you see people yeah. doing those family-centered care practices it helps to recognize them in front of others as well which makes them encouraged and responsive to wanting to do that more often and, mm -hmm. and seeing that positive feedback mm -hmm. would you mind sharing a little bit about um, a certain a certain nurse that you had to work with at one point who she 
I don't know, you can go more into it as well, but she was very difficult to work with and kind of how you tried to do some teaching with her too. Sure, I can think of a couple, but there was (laughs) one in particular in the beginning um, who I have to say I adore this nurse. Um, I think she's fabulous. I think she's got a great personality, but she's got a very set way of doing things and she's very technically oriented and very technically savvy, but maybe the personality is a little overabundant and um, doesn't always match the affect of the patients that we need. She's also very much a get done, check it off, let's just get this done type of person who doesn't always pay attention to detail or take that time to make sure that this patient is calm and relaxed and we can do this in the best way possible for them. Mm -hmm. So um, there's always been a lack of communication in maybe hey, um, so-and-so, can you please just give me a call when this patient checks in? I'm with somebody else, but I would love if you can call me because um, I really would like to be there for this patient. No call. Mm -hmm. And this has happened several times, and, you know, charge nurses have have also asked this nurse to make sure that she does this and still no. So when I know this particular nurse is involved, I will watch the census and I will watch the check-in board and I will make sure I get down there as soon as I can. And she'll be like, oh, I was just going to call you. (laughs) Probably not. But um, I think I've been more bold in being able to pull her aside and say, hey, you know what? I really needed you to call me. This patient was one that I was I had already spoken to and was going to work with, and um, you know, it'd be really helpful if you could call when when you say you're going to. With her, I'm I have the ability to talk a little bit more firmly with her, and she's receptive to that. So mm-hmm. it does help you. You kind of have to know your audience on who you're talking to and who yes. you have to be maybe a little bit more authoritarian to, or mm-hmm. who you need to maybe, you know, wear kid gloves with and and kind of talk gently to. And yes. I think just really watching body cues and body language on the way that you're presenting. Mm-hmm. your argument. Yes. And I like the way that you also point about how you're in some ways also proactive or preventative of if you know that she struggles with yes. calling you, that you're also doing your due diligence. Yes, it'd be so nice if she just calls you Correct. anyways, but that you're trying to do whatever you can in your circle of control to take ownership of the problem and try to make it so that it's not a problem, which is really good. And I think that's the benefit once you're in the field and especially once you're working in your own departments for a while. I think the first year in any anyone's department or any any person starting out, um, it can be challenging because you don't know the personalities of the different nurses or the different techs or the different hucks or the different mm-hmm. doctors. And I think the um, the availability of time and the blessing of working in a department for a long time is you do get to know those personalities, you do get to have those relationships, good, bad, indifferent, and you know how to work around mm-hmm. those situations. Mm-hmm. So just if, if you're new and in the field and just getting started, be patient. I said this in my podcast last year. You just got to kill them with kindness and patience mm-hmm. and respect and um, meet them at their level and just you'll win them over. I mean, what we do is fabulous work, and I think they'll see it, and they Absolutely. see how the patients react, and it really does ultimately help them to do, be able to do a better job too. So mm-hmm. I think just give it time if, if you're newer in the field. Good words. And, and it actually a question from Brad He's actually asking if, you know, if child life is so wonderful and does so much, when is it okay to step back and let the medical team do what they truly need to do? Oh, this is a good one. You just had a wonderful blog about this that was fabulous. I, you know, to be honest, I was a little nervous posting this blog because although I'm a child life specialist who practices staying out of the room at times, I'm not sure what other child life specialists worldwide think um, about that because I recognize that to some people it can look a little icky. Mm -hmm. Like you hear this, this patient screaming and then the child life specialist just standing outside. That's not to say that I don't go back in. Correct. Absolutely. But I think maybe we should just start with the basics of 
when is it okay? Yeah. From your experience, what sort of things do you look for? Again, first assessment. Mm-hmm. What's going on in this room? Um, is there parental support? Is the patient coping okay or is the patient not coping okay? How many people are in the room? What is going on? Is there a conversation being had or is there a procedure being done? Um, really need to read the room, read the people, find out what's going on, get as much information to base your, your decision on. Mm-hmm. Have you worked with this patient before? What has worked, what hasn't worked? For you, I know, for example, mm-hmm. you know there are certain patients that just they need to scream, they need to cry, and they need to do that during the procedure. But you know that right afterwards, you're better off coming in and helping that child cope and regroup and just kind of get back to baseline. And they almost always do. It's just you know these patients from working with them. Mm-hmm. I think just assessment is, is key. I totally agree. And I love the things that you're thinking about of just even paying attention to parents. Like how I think parents are so huge to mm-hmm. focus in on of do they know what's going on? Are they calm? Are they yeah. feeling empowered in what their role is to support their child? Yeah. I think um, that in itself can be really huge. I do think about traumas too. And I know you have experience mm-hmm. working in the ER especially, mm-hmm. but there are sometimes those traumas that the immediate task at hand is medical attention. Obviously, if a kid is coming through with a very serious injury or life-threatening situation going on, Mm -hmm. that may not be the place for child life. Not always. I know that there's been times, too, you have stated It depends if the trauma is, if the patient is still, um, you know, coherent and alert Mm -hmm. and we need to keep this child calm while we're starting lines and, and, you know, doing things, then, then yes, maybe our position is at the head of the bed just talking to this patient and getting them through and explaining what's going on and that we're there for them. Mm -hmm. If the patient isn't or if there's just too many team members there, our moment might just be to help mom or dad kind of calm, explain what's going on and, you know, let them know. But many times the parent is also talking with the nurse and answering a lot of medical questions that need to happen for background information. So Mm -hmm. sometimes it's better for us to just step out of the room, let them get what they need to get done first, and then readdress it when things have calmed down a little bit. Mm -hmm. Again, assessment. You need to see where is the importance of what you you need to be doing mm-hmm. at at that moment mm-hmm. and I think it's key um, not just in traumas but one voice I think we always need yes. to go back to one voice and that one voice does not have to be us I think we're a little egocentric if we mm-hmm. think that voice has to be us it should be mom or dad as the number one priority if it can't be mom or dad or they just can't find their voice it, maybe it's the nurse at that moment because they're walking through a procedure maybe it's the nurse practitioner who's administering the stitches right now okay buddy now I'm doing this or a doctor or an x-ray tech giving instruction mm-hmm. I think we need to step back and realize we feel like sometimes our job is the one to calm but we're not the only calming voice and and I think that's really hard knowing what our role is to be able to step back Mm -hmm. and maybe come in at a better time or just empowering mom or dad reminding them you're doing a great job they need to hear your voice right now Mm -hmm. keeping quiet is hard it's so hard I would be very humbled I'm sure if someone came and recorded me in a procedure because I think sometimes I think I'm doing a really good job of being quiet but then other times I think I can see the way that I'm trying to take control and I think something that's I've noticed about myself is sometimes I, I, I feel like I have to stay in the procedure because I have to be doing something right. and I can take on this savior complex sort of way of thinking of feeling like it's actually more pride egocentric thing for me of I want to seem like I'm doing a good job. I will say even sometimes I can struggle with not going in a room because I feel 
intimidated because I worry that I'm, I'm not going to do a good job. I'm not going to be able to help that kid be silent, which is so ridiculous. Right. Like just even today, um, I heard this poor two-year-old wailing in the room and I had just gotten to the unit and I asked the nurses like, what's going on? And they said, well, we're trying to start an IV on him. We've tried five times. And so now they're about to try his foot. And in that moment, I started thinking, oh, I, I shouldn't go in there because I, what can I do? Like, what can I, how can I really change such a horrible thing? I'm sure he's already escalated. I'm sure parents are already frustrated. I'm just going to look like a failure if I go in. And I hate to even confess that that's kind of my thinking of my assessment was more myself. Well, how am I going to feel? Am Mm -hmm. I going to feel like an accomplished child life specialist? No, I probably could go see other kids who I'm going to have more success quote unquote with. But I was very aware of how I knew that my thinking was a little skewed in that sense. And I knew that I had to assess either way, whether I was going to stay or not, that I needed to be objective and go in and see, is there any way that child life could help? Turns out there was. As soon as I walked in the room, the parents were so eager to meet a child life specialist. We ended up getting the kid down on the floor, playing with cars, helping him just take a break, helping him be a kid. He ended up building a lot of trust and rapport with me. So then when it was time for his final stick and his poor little foot for the IV that I was right there by his head. He already trusts me. We actually did get him to engage in distraction. Did he cry? Absolutely. I probably would be too, but that's not how we gauge if we're successful. And that's also certainly not how we should gauge if we should stay in a room or not. And I love the way that you're just pointing on so many other things to think about asking, have we done everything that we should do? Have we provided explanations? Have we talked to parents? Have we, um, educated the kid in their coping strategies or provided those opportunities for parents to be successful. And if we've done all those things, if we also worked with staff to help them feel like they know how to help this kid, then maybe we are just one more extra person in the room. And maybe that's worth taking a step back, not because of our pride or not because, you know, we're getting too insecure, but because we know that that's objectively the right thing to do. Well, I like how you said that empowering staff. Mm-hmm. Like you and I, we've worked with our staffs in our departments for years now, and we've built these relationships, and they've worked with us side by side for years. I can walk into a diagnostic imaging room and see one of the nurses on the floor with the wooden CT scanner, with the little dials, and with That's the sounds, awesome. and with everything that I would come in and do, because we've worked as a team, and we've and we've you know educated them, and they are amazing. They know ch- child-friendly language. Am I just going to be an extra body then? Mm-hmm. Knowing that they're Getting what they need does not have to come from me. Right. It can come from other powers that be. And yes. I think that's really hard, but really empowering to be able to get to that point to understand mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. ultimately we've done what we needed to do. Yes. Whether it's us helping the child or helping another staff member to help the child or empowering a parent to help their own child. Mm-hmm. Definitely. We have another question from Rachel. She asks, how do you handle the emotions of the daily job and keep work at work? What a good question. Wow, that is hard. And I, you know, you work in the oncology world, which can Mm -hmm. be just devastating at times. And we all work with children of adult patients and, of course, the pediatric world in general. And I just think um, as child life specialists, we really are in the heart of um, grief and trauma and abuse. And we get the beauty of the the wonderful things and the amazing outcomes most often, but we do deal with these sad things. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, our team really is what, 
helps. I think being able to come back to this office and debriefing with coworkers that really do understand, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not breaking HIPAA by talking to another coworker because we're both in this together and we're both here at this hospital together. I think um, coming together and understanding and talking to the nurses, our chaplains are fantastic here Mm -hmm. if we need to have a little extra support. And then, of course... (laughs) I love having a little bit of a commute on the way home so I can just turn my music up and just transition mm-hmm. from, okay, I couldn't do anything to change the situation, but did I make it better? Mm-hmm. And what did I do to make it better? And knowing that I'm there as a professional to help these guide these patients and these families through the most difficult times of their lives in a professional manner that they otherwise may have navigated a little bit less um, mm-hmm. gracefully, mm-hmm. I think is the thing I can take away and at least maybe take a deep breath and just say okay yes absolutely I love the way that you're you also are trying to have a discipline of remembering what good you did do Mm -hmm. that day because I think sometimes we can be our own worst critic and we can even cause ourselves to lead to burnout of feeling like we're not doing enough or whatever it is but I think compartmentalization is huge and I think it is important. I mean, people use the the term so flippantly at times of work-life balance and things like that, but it is amazing to me how quickly it can become imbalanced when I notice that I am being consumed by thoughts at work as soon as I get home or as soon as I'm walking to my car that I'm just still doing emailing or still thinking about all the things that were left undone that I really think it's it's so important to try to be very disciplined and, and make that a priority. If we're committed to that, if we're committed to leaving work at work and understanding that you did your best, mm-hmm. that you were faithful, that you worked with integrity, that there's still tomorrow and the hope for that. And so you're going to prioritize for tomorrow. And then you are going to go and engage with people outside of work, engage with kids that are healthy or whatever it is that that can be so life-giving. Because I think it is really hard. Like it's a challenge. And I think it should be a challenge too mm-hmm. in some ways. Because I I also notice sometimes it can become so desensitized, right? Compartmentalize too much. So it I almost become numb to the suffering of a kid, but it should be hard. It should be something that we wrestle with. Well, and I think, I believe you and I had this conversation the other day where we're here at work and we we grapple with these um, cases and we have these, you know, um, these just horrific events that are happening and we're in, we're in the deep throes of this and we're helping these patients and families and yet we might not cry or we might not show emotion but then we go home and watch a Hallmark commercial mm-hmm. or a military you know dad coming home to his kid and the tears just start flowing and I think we can compartmentalize like you said we still have emotions we still have empathy we still have compassion mm-hmm. but we also know that when we're here our role is to get these families through this. And mm-hmm. I know that I would love to have a support system if I was going through this and somebody to just guide me and help me and navigate. And nobody's going to be perfect. Every time you're going to walk out of a room and think, what could I have done better? I, I still do it after 20 years. I, you know, every room you walk out of, you reevaluate and, and reassess and just try to say, okay, I did what I could today. This next time, maybe I could do this or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, families are just so receptive and so appreciative and so thankful, and they just bring you in to their circle. And it's just the most, I think we've all talked about this as well, that these difficult cases end up being the ones that are the most rewarding and mm-hmm. the ones that just mm-hmm. make you realize this is why we are doing what we are doing and why we came into this field. Yes, absolutely. I think it's so important that we have those, that sometimes it hurts because we cared so much or because we we are so soft to to how hard this is and I think that's important and 
I even think about how we had an interview a few podcast episodes ago with Catherine Bennett, who recommended journaling or Mm -hmm. just doing things like that to help us be mindful and to be in tune with our emotions. Because I know for me, I give, I give the analogy all the time with kids with Mentos and Diet Coke, that Mentos are like those feelings. And if we keep shoving them down into a Diet Coke, what happens? It erupts. And I can notice the same thing with myself, that if I'm not being in tune with my own emotions, if I'm not taking that time to be still, to reflect Mm -hmm. how I'm doing, to have those conversations with wonderful coworkers, to process through some of the horrors that we see that, um, I think it just will help us down the line to be able to move through those different difficult situations as they come. We are so short on time already, but um, Ginger now, as you all know, works in surgery and something that she's so good at that she, well, I'm just going to conclude with is Ginger, I'm putting you on the spot, but um, tell me uh, one of your classic Ginger jokes that you use to break the tension quickly in those quick moments. Oh my gosh, I, you know me, I never remember my jokes. And I already said my other two jokes on the last one. Oh, um, oh I do have a new one. Oh, yay. Why does a duck have tail feathers? Why? To cover its butt quack. <laughs> and one of our lovely oncology patients told me that. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Well, to him. That's a great way to end this episode. Thank you, Ginger, for your jokes and your You're wisdom welcome. and for just chatting away. And, and thank you to our listeners for asking these great questions. I know we didn't get to nearly half of them, but I I really appreciate you all asking and you're please continue to reach out and reach out to other child life specialists that you know, because um, like we've been talking about, that's huge to have people to ask questions with Mm -hmm. and to process what the realities of our job. So thank you all. Thank you again, Ginger. Thank you for having me. And in the meantime, may we all press into the mission of the Child Life Cooperative by learning through reflection, uniting for support and equipping students. Thank you guys so much. 